0: As many of our Australian community know, October 14th is the day Australians will vote on a referendum about whether to change the constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing a body called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice. My chat today is with Thomas Mayo. Thomas is a signatory of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and has been a leading advocate since its inception in May 2017. Thomas is also a father of five and author of six books, including his latest book, which he co-authored with Kerry O'Brien, called The Voice to Parliament Handbook, All the Details You Need. In this conversation, Thomas breaks down what The Voice to Parliament is and how a yes vote will impact First Nations people. Hi Thomas, welcome to the Lunch Lady podcast. I feel very honoured to have you here. I know you're super busy in the lead up to the um, referendum on October 14th. Hi Lou. Nice to be here with you. Yes. Um, So today what we're going to do is we're going to run through, obviously, what the Voice to Parliament is, some questions. I did throw out a question to readers on um, Instagram last night, so a couple have come in as well. But I think just a little bit of background about yourself, you know, tell us about the journey that you've taken to get here. You know, it's been quite a few years in the making, which some people might not actually understand, but give us a little bit of context.
1: Yeah, well, um, I have uh, been, I I grew up on Larrakia country in Darwin. That's where I live and uh, continue to live. Um, And uh, I was a wharfie for a long time. I um, used what I learned about organizing, you know, uh, basically uh, unity, having been on the wharf uh, back in the days of the Patrick's Dispute and, um, you know, and, and using... Our strength uh, in, from our union to support social justice struggles, not just our own uh, wages and conditions, um, but also to help uh, the most vulnerable in society, something that has uh, been a tradition of our union for a long time, including supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander rights, um, something that made me really proud uh, to be a part of the, that movement. Using what I learnt on, on the wharves, basically to support my own people's struggles um, there's been some really terrible policies, um, harmful, in fact, uh, for Indigenous people for a long time. And, you know, things like uh, when Tony Abbott cut over $500 million from community services um, that uh, really affected uh, children, you know, babies that needed those services, those families that carry mental traumas uh, from, you know, a, a long history of failed policies and harmful laws, but also stolen generations. You know, the, the massacres uh, that continued into the late 1920s, um, you know, and, and the prejudice. So, um, but just uh, uh, how that uh, affected children with fetal alcohol syndrome that needed those services, with mental issues, and, you know, leads to a lot of the uh, troubles in our communities today, you know, like we hear about youth crime. Um, you know, such decisions have repercussions, um, decisions in parliament. Um, so, you know, I, I was part of organising responses to that and tried to, you know, as Indigenous people do, we're taking responsibility and trying to see better outcomes for our people. Um, and that's how I came to be involved in this campaign. I knew nothing else was working. Uh, and um, decided uh, that, you know, when we came together at Uluru, and called for a constitutionally enshrined voice. It's the right thing to do. Um, I've got five kids, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> I've written in your magazine about yeah. five kids and, uh, and about writing a book about the Uluru Statement and you know what I said in my introduction there. Uh, and so that's how I come to be here, um, you know, in this very important moment in time, doing my best to try and see the referendum be a success.
0: So in simple terms, tell us tell us what, what what is the referendum and and what is the voice to parliament?
1: So the voice to parliament is an advisory committee where Indigenous people will have the opportunity to choose our own representation because at the moment, you know, people that we identify as spokespeople for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are in fact chosen by political parties, um, not accountable back to their communities. So it's an advisory committee that can take the advice from our communities, from the grassroots and work with the parliament and the government to get better outcomes in policies such as housing, uh, health, education employment. It really is that simple.
0: And, and being in the constitution is obviously different because uh, it can't be thrown out?
1: Yeah, we've got a long history of uh, establishing representative bodies because it's a normal thing for people to do, right? When you've got a large group of people, you know, in Aboriginal and Torres Strait the people, were around 800,000 people, uh, you know, just over 3% of the population. But it's natural for a people to organise the structure from which they can speak with consensus and coherency. So we've done it many times. Uh, in the 1920s, the Australian Aboriginal Progressive Association, there's been the Aboriginal Advancement League, uh, you know, FICATSE, the NAC, the NACC, Uh, But all of these uh, representative bodies or voices we've established have been um, established under one government and then taken away by the next. And it's wasteful in itself, but it doesn't help us have, uh, our decision makers have consistently good advice, you know, to um, make better decisions that get better outcomes. So we have proposed the voice to be enshrined in the constitution as the form of recognition in the constitution that we want. But it also gives it some permanency, you know, just guarantees that there will be a voice for Indigenous people so we can be listened to.
0: One of the questions that came through last night was, um, you know, First Nations people represent 3% of the population and basically 97% of non-Indigenous people have to vote on it, which seems quite disempowering. It's not really their voice. What do you say to that?
1: Oh, well, this is actually empowering. Uh, Indigenous people ourselves, as I explained, uh, you know, we came together considering the lessons from our past, and that was at the Uru National Constitutional Convention in 2017. And, you know, there was around 270 of us and 250, so a great majority. So don't expect all Indigenous people to agree with this or anything else, uh, like any other group of human beings. Um, But we reached a consensus that we would invite Australians to enshrine this voice in the Constitution with us. And we can't do it without you. So when uh, you decide to vote yes and you get active in this campaign, you're doing it with us, not with all of us, because, again, that's impossible. You can never get all of any group to agree on on uh, anything, really. Um, but this is um, an invitation. And uh, we know we can't change the Constitution without that 97% saying yes to you. So... You're empowered by us to do this.
0: Yeah, that's lovely to hear. Um, there's a lot of noise in this space. You know, we're trying to drown it out with. You know, we're firm firm believers in the yes campaign. But w- what are some of the points of the misinformation that you'd like to address that people might be concerned about from the no campaign? Yeah,
1: well, some are saying that this inserts race into our constitution. When the truth is, uh, we're not a different race. We're part of the human race. Uh, all of us. Uh, are the same in that regard, but we are um, a distinct ethnic group. We are a people that have a connection to this country for sixty thousand years, and sadly, uh, for the entirety of uh, the you know the existence of Australia, Indigenous people have been treated as if we are a different race. You know, there are specific decisions made about us. Uh, we want to see those decisions made to our benefit, and that's the idea of a voice. Um, you know, an advisory committee. Uh, And so this isn't about race. Uh, Also, people say there's already Indigenous politicians. There's a record number, 11 members of parliament, uh, you know, such as Linda Burney and Senator Thorpe and Senator Pat Dodson, uh, Malandiri McCarthy, which is wonderful. Uh, But the problem is is that they are chosen by political parties uh, or they are independent and not truly accountable back to the communities uh, across this country. And so uh, we seek uh, a voice that can speak for Indigenous people, not for an electorate, not for a political party, but purely to the priorities and interests of Indigenous people accountable back to their communities. Um, Another one is that this is going to take something away from people, you know, that uh, we there's all this fear-mongering, Lou, that you might have heard, that uh, people are going to lose their backyards or the voice will suddenly, you know, be uh, imposing... Uh, you know, uh, land tax or, you know, um, that we're going to be deciding where submarines are parked and we're going to take people's farms. Um, we've heard all of this sort of fearmongering before when Indigenous people got equal wages or when we got native title uh, during, uh, you know, the WIC case. Um, and none of those things came to pass. And more recently, the marriage equality campaign had all sorts of fear-mongering around it. Uh, and each, And in each of these moments... Uh, We've succeeded. Uh, The country has become stronger. You know, we've celebrated. Nobody lost anything. Uh, And it's the same in this. It's an advisory committee. Um, And uh, don't be taken for mugs. You know, we we can only decide what advice we give. The parliament still decides all things.
0: Yeah. And how will that advisory committee be chosen? Um, How will it represent such a wide range of the community? How are you hoping that happens?
1: Yeah, so the process is we pass the referendum, uh, which guarantees a voice uh, as a form of recognition we've requested, uh, then the government will consult with Indigenous communities about the model. Um, so just to give some detail uh, to sort of explain this, the Constitution is only about this thing, whereas, you know, I, I couldn't come anywhere near showing you on the screen how, uh, how much more detail there is outside of the Constitution, which is legislation. So, for example, the constitution basically sets up that there should be elections uh, for you know the choosing of uh, those uh, that run the country that uh, make up the parliament, but it doesn't say how many are in the upper house, how many are in the senate. It doesn't say you know um, you know the the finer detail of how elections are, are run, uh, you know rules around advertisement, um, you know. Uh, where the electorates are and those boundaries uh, you know all those sorts of things are not in the constitution Uh, we actually are able to elect our parliamentarians and that is how we hold them to account uh, to ensure that they do a good job of setting up how these things are done same with tax Um, there's the constitution gives the parliament the power to make laws for the collection of taxes it doesn't say how much tax or you know, where the tax commissioner is based, uh, all those types of things, the parliament decides and we elect them uh, and hold them to account to do a good job. Uh, so similar to this, we with this, uh, we're just inserting 92 words into the constitution that um, uh, establishes recognition through a voice to give advice to the parliament. That's what we're voting yes or no to, um, recognition and a voice. So when that passes, there will be, the government will go to Indigenous communities, consult with us about the legislation, you know, the model, uh, how many reps and all that sort of stuff, Uh, and then that'll go to Parliament and uh, and be voted on by uh, both uh, the opposition and the, you know, the independents, they'll all get their say uh, and it'll pass and away we go. There'll be a voice.
0: And I saw a stat the other day, I think you obviously would be across it too, that most people voting no are white men over the age of 50, which are, you know, our brothers and for some of us our fathers. Um, What do you say to those men or how can we convince them to think otherwise?
1: I think uh, it's something that I notice myself, you know, just uh, pamphleting at markets that it is, uh, certainly women that are stronger supporters, and that's backed by our research as well. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's because women have more empathy. Uh, but I I think with men also they, they tend to be more, uh, well, they are fearful of losing things. I don't know. Uh, but we need to talk to our men. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really want to encourage everybody to talk to your men, your brothers, your uncles, your fathers. Um, and I think the strongest thing, To help them to understand is if they think that they are going to lose something here, which might be the strongest driver, you know, maybe a protective sort of uh, thing, Um, that it's just an advisory committee. Uh, There really is nothing to lose. And the the fear campaign, uh, you know, that uh, those uh, no people are saying and is prevalent across social media with trolls and bots um, please try to help them to understand that it's just an advisory committee. It's just a, a way for for better decisions from our politicians to be made by this uh, in, in, independent indigenous representative body to, um, to, to provide the solutions. And, you know, for some people, they worry more about the economy, perhaps, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, things like that. Um, as as their motivators, Um, maybe explain this to them as well, that a voice is not going to be uh, another layer of bureaucracy. It's not going to cost taxpayers more. Um, It's actually about efficiencies. It's actually about saving money by seeing that every dollar spent uh, achieves better outcomes. And that is not happening right now. Um, And that is because the government makes decisions about us without us. And it's a natural thing it's a no-brainer that the best decisions um, about you are made with you right uh, and so the voice is going to be uh, something that will ultimately save money but also save lives yeah. and I, you know men are still empathetic and caring people uh, but saving money and saving lives I think is a, a really good um, way to explain it
0: and what about just lastly, if there are some people sitting on the fence, you know, getting sort of not even so much the misinformation but start to feel that the progressive no makes a bit of sense or what would you say to them?
1: Well, look, I would say look at what the alternative that is being uh, proposed from them just like anyone else. Uh, I really don't think there is such a thing as a progressive no. It's a, you know, it's a huge contradiction. Um, there's only one no. No. Uh, and there's only one yes, you know, that's all you can write. You can't write progressive no and uh, get a different result. Um, So to go to the arguments from some people uh, from the progressive, so-called progressive no, um, firstly, where people say we should expect more, you know, we, we deserve more than an advisory body. You know, while that's hard to disagree with, given everything that has been done to Indigenous people, the dispossession and the cruelties against us uh, and the continuing failed policies and harmful laws, the question we need to ask ourselves is, would a proposal from Indigenous people to have more than advisory to the parliament ever succeed? Um, You should genuinely ask yourself that question. Could we get more than advisory to the parliament? And then, if you're unaware, nothing is more than advisory to the parliament. We're struggling to get an advisory committee across the line in this referendum, and that's why we need to support. But if we were to ask for a right to veto parliament or for a third chamber, you know, uh, the right to uh, impose laws and taxes and, uh, you know, things on the Australian people, uh, that would never succeed. And so, you know, to say more than advisory uh, to the parliament would be status quo, because we would be leading our own people down the garden path. But finally on that, advisory to the parliament through a structured, representative, uh, well-resourced advisory body uh, is a strong thing. A voice matters in our democracy. A voice matters in decision-making. The best policies and programs have been made with Indigenous people. We know it works. So consider that. And then the other one that people tend to say is that treaty should come exclusively first. Uh, That's illogical uh, to say treaty first because treaties are already underway in a majority of states in the Northern Territory. Victoria is the most advanced process 10 years in, uh, not even at the point of negotiations, which is no one's fault. But you see, treaties are hugely complex and experts, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, say they'll take 30 to 40 years. I'm not prepared to wait 30 or 40 years to improve housing in communities and health outcomes and education and employment. Um, I want a voice to be able to influence those things now and as I said earlier save lives.
0: And just lastly what you know how, how important are individual actions you know people who support the yes and and how much power do you think individuals have?
1: Firstly, please um, take up that challenge to have the conversations with uh, everybody in your family and circle of influence, your friends, uh, with that very clear message that, you know, this is an advisory committee, it's recognition, uh, and there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Um, Say to people that you've looked into it, that you know it's safe and it's meaningful and you're voting yes, and invite them to vote yes too. Um, provide them with information through the Yes23 website or the great book that Kerry O'Brien and I have written, the Voice to Parliament Handbook, all the details you need. Um, it's a really useful resource and, and inexpensive. Um, and then also join as volunteers. So on the uh, Yes23 website, you can register as a volunteer. We need you to door knock and leaflet and all that sort of thing as well.
0: Yeah, amazing. Thanks Thomas. Um thank you very grateful for all your work on this for everybody and uh you and Carrie just killing it out there. So thank you so much and thanks for your time.
1: Thank you, Lou. All the best. You.
0: If you liked this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really liked it, be a legend and leave us a good review. Lunch Lady is a parenting platform where no conversation is off limits. It's for curious parents and carers keen on parenting with a side of optimism, hope and fun. For more excellent reads and good conversations, head to www.hellolunchlady.com.au.